wants to leave that. Yeah, I'll leave it. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody, I'll please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, thank you for granting this night to evangelize your work, to come together as Orthodox Christians, and to spend the night in prayer and in thanksgiving. May we have a blessed night. In God's name, amen. Amen. All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again. So this is our part two, or I guess you could say second episode of our international series. And today we have Henry and I'll let him take it from here. So thank you all for joining. All right. Hi, so my name is Henry Hardwick and I am a first year MTS student at Holy Cross. And thanks be God, I had the rich blessing of being able to study abroad in my undergraduate program, both in France and doing a working holiday in Ireland. So it gave me a very good glimpse at what it's like in Western Europe where orthodoxy is not necessarily prevalent, especially due to uh, Roman Catholicism. So I was born in Vietnam, but adopted and raised in Oklahoma by a Protestant family. and didn't become orthodox until I was 18 when I discovered the Antiochian Orthodox Church. And so when I first started studying in Paris in 2017, I had only been a, I'd only been chrismated for a year by then. So it was all very new and navigating a world where I didn't necessarily have the comforts of my home Paris, not having the comforts of youth nights and coffee hours and things like that. So thanks to God, I was able to find a refuge both at the pre-cathedral, Saint-Étienne, in Paris, along with the old and new wrestling cathedrals, St. Alexander Nevsky and Holy Trinity. And the thing that I found was most difficult for me was, while at my time at Hawaii College had been 50% Greek, 50% English, over in France, it was either 100% Greek or 100% Church Robonic, with only the Lord's Prayer and the Gospel reading in the colloquial language. So that was a bit difficult for me to really feel connected to the faith. I was able to attend on Sundays and I was able to celebrate Pascha and major feasts. But for the most part, I kind of felt a disconnect. At most, the main conversations I'd have with people were to give tourist directions after the service or to when the priest would tell me or call me little buddy after I'd go up and receive the antidote, which itself was a nice little thing to nobody recognized me, but still, it's not as much as. I was able to get back home. So that kind of present a challenge and the faith of really trying to find where I belong, where I could either attend a American church with American expats and have that sense of community, or I could attend a Orthodox church and Orthodox service where the divine liturgy was completely familiar in structure, but in language there is very little that I actually understood. So one of the greatest things that happened to me my first year in Paris was I was attending the Feast of St. Peter and Paul in the summer, and I met an Antiochian priest who was visiting, Father John of uh, Orlando. And it was through this that I was able to build a beautiful relationship where every year that he would come with him and his prisoners, I was able to give a sacrament and confess, and I was able to really kind of talk and help discern while living abroad, studying communications in Europe, how I could possibly use that to later on serve the church to whatever capacity possible. And so after my time in Paris, I came back home to the United States 
I took care of my grandma, bridge over the pose, and then I started doing a working holiday in Ireland just to kind of get away for a bit. And there kind of presented a different aspect where things were a lot harder. It was harder to find work in a town that was mainly college students who were willing to work, you know, more hours for less than I would ideally want to pay, be paid just to afford to do the basic living. And so they had a Romanian church that was only open on Sundays. And it was just a little side chapel of a main Episcopalian cathedral. And for me, it was kind of difficult to really feel like I belonged in this atmosphere because on one hand, I was trying to just, you know, <clears throat> get by in Ireland. It was very much simpler than Paris. But on the other hand, I felt even more of a disconnect where I only had the ability to go on Sundays for the most part. And even then I often felt that like the Romanian church didn't necessarily connect to me in the same way that say the Greek and Byzantine structure similar to Antioch's was. So for me personally, I found that often I would just be going to the church on my own, do my own prayers. And as much as I was able to have a good prayer life, I found that my liturgical life was suffering from that. And it really kind of created a sense of emptiness and not being able to be in that communion of the church at all times. But thanks be to God, when I came back home right before the pandemic, I was able to all preserve at my home in Paris. I was able to do a internship with the Greek Archdiocese and really get to participate finally once again in the body of the church in a way that I was able to both understand and actively participate in. And that's one of the things that led me to Holy Cross in realizing that this is very much something that I love, being a part of the church, being able to actively serve in the church, and really just being a part of a community to where it's not the, on one hand, we're called to go out into the world to not only evangelize, to, to, but to also show the love of Christ and exemplify what our Orthodox faith means. But at the same time, it is rather nice to be able to be in a community where we can go to chapel twice a day. And even then, when I'm not able to do so, I realize that I'm taking it for granted when it's such a rich blessing to finally have access to the church after having had such difficulty for the last few years. And that's about it for now. Um, does anybody have any questions? So I have a question actually. <laughs> so uh, first I wanna thank you so much for being on here and sharing your story. And I just love hearing everyone's stories. I know a couple of weeks ago we had Nilab share his story and it's just really interesting. And um, I don't know, it's just each and every one of you has such different stories and it's really interesting to hear, but um, I had a few questions, but I'll go with uh, this one first. So I heard you mention that you lived abroad, like in Europe. Um, where exactly did you live? And like, how long did you live in each country? So I lived in uh, Paris, France for two years. I lived in uh, Ireland for nine months in Galway. So on the uh, Western coast, there's a very tourist and uh, university heavy city. So during the summers, they would have this forest walking in about 40,000 people. Then during the school semester, they'd have 120,000 plus people, but less tourists. It was a very kind of interesting dynamic that would shift. That's so cool. Thank you so much. And so you were there for college, I'm assuming? 
Yes. So I uh, I started out at Hornet College for a year and a half, and then I transferred to communications at the American University of Paris, and completed about a year and a half, and then just spent about six months, uh, you know, just living in Paris itself. And during that time, actually, I had met a uh, friend of mine who was a Maronite studying from the American University of Beirut. So that granted the opportunity to go over there and do pilgrimages. And of course, while being in Paris, I was able to do pilgrimages to some of the uh, areas surrounding it, say, for instance, like I did two in Italy and Sicily, which was a rich blessing to see some of the Orthodox saints who, say, for instance, St. Lucy of, uh, <clears throat> of Ortega. And uh, it was really just a rich blessing to, to participate in the life of the church that, like, even whenever we're studying, say, in church history, um, like the development of the church in the West, seeing names like St. Patrick, uh, St. Columbus, St. Lucy, it's a rich blessing to have been able to not only visit the sites and pilgrimage, but also to really know that while I was over there, you know, I was able to, in a way, be in their footsteps and also, you know, participate in that, you know, just communion with the cloud of witnesses who I didn't necessarily know quite as well beforehand. That's very interesting. Thank you so much. Actually, you mentioned um, you met someone who's a Maronite from Beirut, correct? Um, my family is from Beirut, so um, I know like the Mar like the Maronite faith is very very prevalent in Lebanon. Um, so I know a lot of Lebanese people are Maronites. So it is rare to find uh, like Lebanese Orthodox people too. So um, and I know Paris uh, is known to have a lot of Arabs too. I know there's a lot of Middle Eastern people in Paris. So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, there is a very large, especially Lebanese community in Paris, and the B-E-U-R-E-T-T-E. And then in uh, Lebanon, it was very, very interesting dynamic after the Civil War, how you have, you know, various, I mean, if you know, but you have like combis, various Christian groups, I'm just intermingling together in different areas. So my friend was from Mount Lebanon and was in a Maronite community, but her cousins were actually Eastern Orthodox. And then while I was there, I was able to go up uh, to the Northern Governor where there was uh, Alman Monastery, which is very much a uh, large part of the Antiochian Orthodox Church, Kambar, Mother Monastery. So it's a rich blessing to always see just how involved the church is over there culturally, while also saying that even with the various sects, they all, at least from my experience, seem to intermingle, get along with each other, much more than over here where there are kind of greater divisions between Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. That's very true. <laughs> um, I want to give some other people a chance to ask questions. So um, I do have a couple more, but it's okay. I'll give others a chance. <laughs> I really like what you have to say and kind of like your story, how you found um, the faith and everything. I was just wondering, how did you um, 
since like you're like living abroad in different places, how did you find Hellenic College and kind of how was that kind of was it like a study abroad program or you just decided to go to the different countries and kind of study from there? So when I first started at Hellenic College, I was set on a program where I would be here for seven years, start at 18 and graduate at 25. And after a year and a half, just between some of like growing pains that the school was going through at that time of a transition period, and also being intimidated at the thought of being in one place for seven years, I uh, wound up transferring over to the American University of Paris. And that was just because back in high school, I had done a, we had a very good French exchange program with, the, with my international baccalaureate. And AUP was one of the schools with all of the uh, French kids that would always talk about. And whenever I was looking at transferring to a school, I was had just applied, got a good scholarship, and I thought I can either, you know, go to a public university back home in Oklahoma. I could go to a private school like in a big city in the U.S. Or with the scholarship, I'd have the chance to afford to be able to go over to Paris, which to me kind of seemed like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So thanks be to God, I was able to take that. So how I originally found the faith was just, so while doing my second year of the French exchange programs, there had been a student who wanted to take their uh, exchange kid and some of their friends over to a church's uh, family night on Wednesday. And I thought to myself, I'm not hosting a student, but I'm gonna be hosted. So I might as well pull my weight somehow. So in doing so, I was able to visit a Saint something, something Orthodox church. And so I did the youth night, they talked, you know, said some nice things. The priest gave me a tour. I got to see the, uh, you know, the sanctuary and it was a very beautiful place. Stained glass, uh, nice paintings on the wall. And I thought, okay, this is nice. And that was my senior year of high school. So I kind of really presented a period where I was wanting to find purpose. I was wanting to find kind of like, what is my relationship with God in my life? Because I'm applying to these colleges, I'm doing all these exams, and I don't really have any goal outside of doing these. So I really just prayed on it. And after a while, it was about a period of two, three months, I decided I want to actually choose a denomination because as a non-denominational Protestant at a community church. It was very, a very simplistic take on Christianity where it taught of eternity and it taught of like a feel good sermon, some nice little music and that was about it. And I just felt like there had to be more. If I had a question, I had never even met my pastor. The church was so large. So I really felt like I wanted to find something closer. So my grandfather was Roman Catholic, but I was not very close to that faith, so I started reading the Roman Catholic Catechism and found there are certain things of dogma that I just could not agree with, papal infallibility, original sin, etc. So I was really trying to discern what I should do. So just like any uh, Zoomer of our generation, I decided to Google online, you know, a BuzzFeed asked, what denomination do I belong to? So I took the quiz and it said I was 91% Lutheran. And I thought, 
I don't know where Lutheran Church is, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> it said 87% Catholic. I didn't feel like, you know, feeling past the catechism. And way down on the list, I'm seventh place, 78% Eastern Orthodox. And I thought to myself, I've heard that word before, the Orthodox. <clears throat> so then I contacted that host family who had been at the church and asked if I could attend their Sunday service. So they welcomed me to the Divine Liturgy. And at the time, I didn't know when they said, <clears throat> Lady Deotokos and Ever Virgin Mary, if that is a singular person, if Deotokos is some person, and Virgin Mary, I know from Catholicism. And just like, you know, uh, everything <clears throat> was new, everything was different. I had never really had incense before during worship. The chanting was very unique. The iconography, you know, I didn't really. I, I mean, as the Protestants say, bells and smells and, you know, all the pictures and imagery I was not used to whatsoever. But thanks be to God, there is nothing that conflicted with either the beliefs I had or comic my conceptions like how Catholicism did, but rather everything was new and different and I wanted to know more. And thanks be to God, my the priest of the parish, Father John, he was very open to having me participate in the catechetical classes. He was very open to me asking just questions whenever I could visit him during the week, and just have discussions with him. And this provide a very intimate and very just new religious experience. And one thing that actually stood out to me was when I first came back to that divine liturgy, at the end when I was going to kiss the cross, he said to me, oh, I remember you from uh, a little French exchange group. And I thought to myself, I've been going to the same church for 18 years, never had a conversation with my pastor. And then this, you know, random priest who I've seen a couple months later remembers me. And that just, to me, said, this is something special. So that priest wound up becoming my spiritual father. That family who allowed me to join them wound up becoming my God family. And thanks be to God, it just planned a really firm foundation of faith and community that you know, when, even when I have been abroad, even when I have been far away from home for a year or longer, I can always come back and find that being closer to home than really even the home I have back home, back there itself. So thanks for the God. I'm very blessed to have had a, you know, experience in coming into the faith where it really was something that I could be both passionate about and welcomed into. I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I have a question, and I think she's muted. Um, oh, Jennifer, oh, muted yourself by accident. Oh no. Okay, I'm sorry. So yeah, my question was what is the biggest lesson that you learned this year and how can you relate that to the faith, you know, from an orthodox perspective? Well, actually the biggest lesson I've learned just in the year period is that when we go to church, we can't expect just to you know, be searching for a feeling of happiness or belonging. So it's coming up on the anniversary of my father's repose in an accident. 
and that presented a time where, you know, during COVID where everything was so normalized of everything stable, I'm staying at home, I'm doing the same things. Really my main kind of outing is going to church and serving on Sundays. It presented this issue of unfamiliarity and navigating a world that wasn't quite the same, you know, as we always hear nowadays, a new normal. So for me, and kind of struggling to, you know, when I'd alter serve, I would be very distracted, just either thinking about, I bothered feeling that things weren't the same as they were. And really, I had to find that when I was serving, it wasn't for me, it wasn't to feel better or think, you know, I have to do this or I want to do this really. It's just that I knew that my serve was a rich blessing to have the opportunity to be with God, to be in communion with his people. And that really helped me to just, when I am in church, whether it's behind the altar or in the congregation, it helps me be mindful that even if I'm tired, even if I'm distracted, even if I'm sad or stressed, it's always a rich blessing to be there because really in a way that is, you know, what we are meant to be just in communion with God, in his presence and sharing in that creation. So thanks be to God, even with that loss, it helped me realize that the, just really the spiritual reality and dynamic is one not of focusing on ourselves, but in focusing on God and on, you know, just being able to bear these little crosses and self-sacrifice and in doing so for one another, we're able to become closer to God. We're able to actually, you know, I mean, as we find so much in the faith, it's when we are willing to sacrifice and lay down ourselves that we're able to reap the spiritual benefit of gain. So that my greatest lesson for certain was in just finding the, finding the relation with the church wasn't just trying to benefit for myself, but also in actually serving God and finding the abundance of blessings that can come from that. All right. yeah. So I'd really say that one of the things that stood out to me most of the Eastern Orthodox faith in Paris was how it was very traditional, like in a way, you know, like I guess you could say old country. So most of these people were first-generation immigrants from Greece to the Greek cathedral. And then either Russian expats who were there specifically for work or who had been there for multiple generations because of the uh, closer relation that France and Russia had had before the Russian Revolution. Like the um, old Russian cathedral there, St. Alexander Nevsky, it, uh, actually cut itself off from Russia during the revolution and wound up being under the ecumenical patriarchate. So it's very interesting to see kind of these, in a way, aspects of a faith that weren't Americanized. You know, we don't, we weren't seeing Paris councils or coffee hours, things like that. Because it was very much more just a church for the local community which, you know, when the community is always seeing each other, always able to be participating in this, there's not as much of a need to have, I mean, you would congregate after the service, but you wouldn't necessarily have these larger elaborate coffee hours. 
So that really was something that I enjoyed. And uh, say at Russian Cathedral, you would see that not only did people know each other, but they were very close. You, and one thing that actually I loved about that was how, as is very evident in some Russian parishes I visited, or even just swap of churches, people always standing. You have these little seats on the side, but you don't dare sit over there. If the you know, elderly man or woman, like with her cane, is not willing to sit over there, you know, I can't just because I didn't get enough sleep the night before. So it's really those tiny little aspects that I really enjoyed seeing just because it's like, it's very different. Like here in America, at my church, we have comfortable pews. At the, uh, and then while I was in New York, uh, with the Greek Archdiocese, most of the parishes that I visited, we would actually uh, kneel in the pews on Sundays with the uh, Archdiocese and Cathedral actually getting pews installed around Pascha when I was there. It was very interesting just to see this very different dynamic between the churches. And then at the uh, church in Paris for the Greek Cathedral, it was always very interesting because of the involvement of the Metropolitan. So he would come as, you know, on major feasts, especially Pascha. And it's just very cool to see this because really for me, I have had only a handful of hierarchical liturgies in my life. Mainly when I was serving at the Antioch Cathedral in Brooklyn. And also once when his eminence Metropolitan Joseph came to uh, Oklahoma. So to really be able to be a part of this smaller intimate community in Paris where there was a greater emphasis on, you know, the hierarchy, it was very cool to see his involvement at that specific parish. And also I would visit smaller parishes throughout the city. Like there's a uh, smaller Greek community, St. Constantine and Helen over on Mamatra by Sakika. And that was a very tiny, intimate community, you know, a very simple iconostasis, things like that. And I also enjoyed seeing how they would, you know, always be so joyful and so welcoming, even though they didn't have as much as the old 19th century uh, cathedral. And then one time I visited Antiochian Paris outside of the city in the suburbs. At, uh, and that was a very interesting experience just because it was, a fully Arabic community and at most second generation. So everything was in Arabic and there was a converted church. And it's just very cool to me how, you know, at my home Paris, which is larger than our cathedral, much larger than our cathedral actually, and is 50% convert, which is a rich blessing in and of itself. It was nice to see how, you know, we're both Antiochian, we're it's like, we had to see here's this community, but, is very different, but also just as close as a being our family choice. So I very much enjoyed those aspects of seeing a non-Americanized uh, Orthodox church. And then it also helped me appreciate some of the American aspects you know, here with the church. So it's real, I think my church really one of the beautiful things that when I was coming into the faith, somebody had once told me that the beauty of the faith is how, one of the beauties of the faith, is that with the glory of John Chrysostom, it doesn't matter if you were to go back 1500 years or go back or, or travel wherever you are in the world, more likely than not, 
we will recognize most of the aspects, you know, even if it's in a different language. And I find it very true and so beautiful that, you know, I'm always in a way able to feel a sense of home when I'm at church and when I'm able to be a part of those communities, you know, joining a community together. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's actually, um, it's really interesting hearing your different perspectives like throughout the faith. And it seems like you've been to many different like Orthodox churches, cathedrals and stuff. So I'm actually uh, learning a lot, even you threw in like mini history lessons and stuff. So I'm definitely learning a lot. I'm sure I can speak for everyone else on here. So um, uh, the other thing, I had a question. So I had a couple, hold on. Um, which one should I ask for? Okay, so first one is, so you said that you grew up in like a Protestant background. So um, did, so when you were younger, did you go to like Protestant churches and then you found Orthodoxy later in life? Is that what it is? Or you were just trying to find your place? So uh, back in growing up, we would go to church every Sunday at a, it was called Protestant Community Church. And that mm. very was the sense of it, just being a church for the community. So it was common in the suburbs of Oklahoma City. And just to give you a common idea of the scale of it, they had seven services for Christmas when I was growing up to accommodate everybody in different services from a more traditional to, you know, just full on rock concert in the gym. And then it's like the parking lot was larger than my home Paris, which is larger than most Orthodox churches. And it had multiple parking lots. It then developed a actual campus for school and then built multiple church campuses throughout Oklahoma City. So very much expanded while I was growing up. And between that and also just attending church less after my parents' divorce, I found that I was kind of in a way drifting away from my faith. I had a prayer life, but outside of the occasional Sunday, Christmas and Easter, I wasn't very much involved with church. And I'd always loved going to church and I always had found that it was something that I was interested in. Like when I was younger, I'd even thought about becoming a pastor. So really, when I was 18 and kind of just trying to figure things out, I found I wanted to be involved with church somehow, whatever that meant. Whether it meant, you know, being able to preach or just be involved with the church community. And I was just really prayerful on it. That's really what I was doing of not knowing necessarily what I wanted or how to obtain it, but just knowing that, you know, God, as my grandmother said, it always says, God works in mysterious ways. I just had faith that something could happen. And thanks be to God, like I was saying before, I was able to just, you know, be what to be Orthodox faith. And I found that it was not only very welcoming, but also just endless and being able to grow in the faith. Whereas before, I kind of wondered, what do I do if I have a question about faith? Like I had very little knowledge of the church and its history, you know, pretty much everything outside of, you know, you have the gospel and you can learn from that. So to really have a church where 
not only do you have the opinions of previous church fathers, but to also actually have a very living faith of, you know, participating in it. But there's something that I didn't even know really existed in the world. And the thing was growing up, unlike some other Protestant denominations, there wasn't any opposition to like the, uh, you know, it wasn't really an opposition to high church or to iconography or to, you know, just the various aspects that we find in orthodoxy, like the saints. It was just, I never even knew that they really existed outside of, oh, my grandpa's Catholic and, uh, you know, Papa has these prayer candles. Sometimes he has these little pictures of saints. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, I guess saints are like old Christians, you know, that's nice. But really to finally be participating so actively in the faith, that's something that I especially look forward to and staying alive with, like, being able to raise a family in the faith and allowing them to have rich blessings, but, you know, I didn't really know to fulfillment when I was younger. That's just something that I find very nice, how, and being able to have had these experiences for myself, I'm able to have a great passion for them, which I hope to share with others. That's so interesting. Thank you so much. And you actually touched on another question I was going to ask you. Um, I was going to ask something like, uh, you know, were you always like as a kid when you were growing up, like, were you always um, like spiritually in tune or were you always kind of trying to find your place spiritually and in that sort of way? But you kind of touched on it. So um, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was really my uh, grandparents that had they were kind of like the real influence in the rock of the faith when I was growing up because my grandfather was Roman Catholic and my grandmother was non-denominational Protestant, but very passionate, especially about the Holy Spirit. So I grew up in a very, like, you know, in a very religious household with that, in which it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like strict or visible, but it was very much evident. Like my grandmother, She'd always say a prayer before meals. She'd keep various, you know, calendar daily Bible verses everywhere, have various prayer books, various uh, study lessons. It was just a very active faith on her part. And that's something that rubbed off on me and really gave me a very strong basis in the faith. And that's something that I'm personally thankful for because I've known some people who grew up in the Orthodox Church, usually, you know, Easter Christmas types who, they never really had a foundation in the faith. So some will say that they don't really know who Jesus is or that they don't necessarily feel that they believe, but they, you know, it's just part of how they grew up, going to Greek dances, going to the Greek festivals and the, you know, main services. And that's something that really stood out to me because for me, even though I didn't have access to the Orthodox faith growing up, I was at least able to have that very firm foundation in the Christian faith that truly helped flourish in Eastern Orthodoxy. And as, I guess, especially in my home parish, where over 50% are converts, I think that that is really one of the things that we need to keep in mind as the church, but I always, for me, I personally believe that there are many people who are 
open to growing in the faith if we only reach out and help them find it. But then as you're saying about being spiritually attuned, my grandmother's favorite story was how when I was about five or six years old, we're driving back from church in a in our little white pickup truck. And uh, she said to me how I turned her and I went, I want to get baptized. And that just really filled her with joy because it was, because of course, like we didn't have infant baptism in the, uh, in my Protestant church. It was something that just, you know, when you, you know, decide that you actually want to, you would go before the congregation and be baptized. And I mean, I don't even remember the moment, but you know, my grandma just was like, that was so joyous for her, how that was kind of like in a way of me, you know, even at that age, just saying that I want to actively be a part of the faith. And especially nowadays, I find one of the richest blessings is where we don't just have choices where we get to be a part of the faith, but the faith very much, you know, is my life. Like at Holy Cross, the day begins with chapel service and chapel service. Any conversation I have, even if it's about a new movie, can also have like theological tie-ins. There's, you know, the ability to be surrounded by even just on walls, there's icons and it's very just beautiful to have this, you know, this place of faith while also knowing that's helping us prepare to go out into the world where that may not necessarily be the case, but we can help bring the faith to others who may not even know that it exists. So. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. God bless you. <laughs> Um, I have another question, and it's, what's your, I mean, who's your favorite saint? So, my favorite saint, personally, is my patron saint, Moses, just because he constantly, I'm able to constantly look at him and really feel just a strong, beautiful connection. So, originally, I was trying to discern who I should choose for, like, a baptismal name, because... I was born on February 28th, so it wasn't a major saint on that day. My name's Henry, so that's not necessarily, you know, a saint name, especially in the East. So I was just praying and trying to discern who I felt a connection with. So I was looking at the life of St. Moses the prophet and God's here, and, you know, I saw how it's like my adoption. He had, you know, been raised by... Uh, the Egyptians, and he never really felt, you know, a place with things. And I found that while reading scripture throughout his life, not only was God very involved and would take care of him, but also was a life of challenges. Like even Moses himself constantly asked, is asking God at the burning bush that, you know, God choose somebody else, that he doesn't feel that he's worthy. He doesn't feel that he has the ability to do these things. That's something that I find even in small aspects of life, these uncertainties, I'm able to look and think to myself, if a prophet Moses, you know, who is still upheld to this day as, you know, one of the greatest of God's servants had these issues, then, you know, I myself can realize that, you know, that's not a an all thing and to have faith in God. And also I see that in the life of Moses, you know, he wasn't a perfect man by any means, 
he murdered the Egyptian. He struck Barak twice and was unable to see the promise or unable to enter the promised land. He's far from a perfect person, and yet at the same time, in Christ's love and mercy, at the transfiguration, on one side is Elijah, and on the other is Moses. In the New Testament, we find various references, you know, such as Christ being the new Moses. And it really showed me that here's a saint who we don't necessarily often think about in the Orthodox Church with such a heavy emphasis in the time after the coming of Christ. And yet in the Old Testament, we have these figures who serve God in such wonderful ways. And at the same time, seeing their humility, seeing that they're really not different from us. And that's something that really stood out to me. And actually in my patrology class, the professor, Father Maximus, an Aphanite monk, has constantly been saying, while we're reading these early church fathers and their works, to pray on it, to try and, you know, be in tune with them, just as St. John Chrysostom was with uh, St. Paul, in which they say that Chrysostom was the mouthpiece of Paul, who was the mouthpiece of Christ. And actually, those are two saints that I also felt an extreme connection with while being at Holy Cross. And keeping in mind of St. Paul that for as much as he is, you know, the exemplary Christian who helped really, you know, allow the Gentiles into the church, he never had an easy life. It was constant persecution, constant traveling, constant preaching unto martyrdom. And that's something I have to keep in mind when things aren't necessarily going well, but, you know, St. Paul didn't really catch a break. And yet at the same time, He's a life that I look at, you know, the seeing so beautifully in Christ and knowing, just like Moses, who is not a perfect man in his persecution of Christians, and yet God elevated him, you know, to a, not only a place of glory, but even more so a place in the community of saints. And also, I said, John Chrysostom, I especially admire him, not only in his writings, but also just in his mercy, especially in his congregation in uh, Constantinople. Even though he was a ascetic himself, he was able to preach to married couples, especially in a time where monasticism was the uh, big thing and people were often looking at that. How we would say that there is no hierarchy between um, married couples, virgins, or monastics because all have their own way of serving Christ and spiritual, as spiritual eunuchs. I especially love with Chrysostom how, with his Paschal Sermon, how he says that even those who come at the 11th hour are welcome to this feast of our Lord. And also with John Chrysostom, I love how on his, in the, uh, on the priesthood, he talks about how, you know, he had left church to avoid becoming a bishop. But then he's explaining that it wasn't because he didn't want to do it or abandon the people, but it's because he felt unworthy. And that's, Things like that that really make me see that these giant looming figures in the church are not there because they're these amazing people in and of themselves, but because they're willing to empty themselves in Christ. That's something that, as I'm trying to discern where I belong in the church, I find inspiration in because instead of focusing on myself, I'm able to just be prayerful and be open to wherever God takes me, having faith that and these many examples that in the church that our brothers and sisters who have come before us, you know, they too have had these struggles and yet God took care of them and 
know, gave them lives beyond anything that we could have imagined. But I just want to say really yeah. quick. If anybody, I know that it's been an hour. So if anybody mm -hmm. does need to go, go ahead, Henry, if you're willing to keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine if anybody else has any questions. Yeah, so you guys can stick around. I just wanted to say that so, so if anyone does have to go, no worries. Thank you for, for joining, mm -hmm. but we'll continue. Uh, right. Just a quick question. So I know um, kind of like you were born in a different faith and you have family from different non-Orthodox faiths, Protestant and other and Catholic. Um, are you, I guess, the only one um, in your family that's Greek Orthodox now or have, yes, has that kind of done any impact on the rest of your family? I'd say that it, uh, I am the only Orthodox member of my family, but it has actually also had an impact, as you said. So I became a, or, or sorry, entered the Orthodox faith in 2016 when I was uh, nine, well, I was still 18 years old. And the, at that time, so my grandfather was already in a nursing home, a Catholic nursing home. But it always brought him joy to, you know, see me going in the faith, you know, when I would like sell him a new icon or something like that, but always light up his face. And then for my grandmother, she always, she just was so happy to see me, you know, actively in the church. And my family, I could sometimes take them to a divine liturgy and they would enjoy it, but it just wasn't for them, which is something that I actually have to keep in mind when it comes to even just looking in the world that the Orthodox faith is very unique and it's very different and I mean thanks for God for me it's just what I was looking for but say for instance my father he was not much one for going to church but he would read the bible every single night he's actually very knowledgeable in scripture so when I became orthodox that was a rich blessing to be able to talk with him about that and develop my faith and God willing you know do the same for him and even though he wasn't, he never converted, he had actually been very adamant but, and helpful that I would attend Holy Cross within the next few years. So thanks be to God, it was a rich blessing to be able to come here and, you know, think to myself, you know, not only is this something though, like, not only am I able to kind of live up to dad's dreams for me, but also he's able to be with me in that. And then for my mother, see, um, well, occasionally attend service with me. So he actually talks to my priest more often than I do, it seems like. And um, this is very close to my God family. And really for her, I think it's just a matter of, it's a bit intimidating, especially coming from a non-denominational Protestant background in Oklahoma, of suddenly being in this church that, you know, has icons, incense, uh, sensors, you know, uh, then even just, even just as much as, uh, you know, the sacraments, like, especially the Eucharist and the Orthodox faith is so different than, say, growing up, it was, you're having a, you know, you're having the bread and wine in memory of Christ versus it actually being the body and blood. And I think that there's things like that where, in a way, I personally believe that, not everybody is necessarily called to the faith or at least not at a specific time. And 
And by really, I personally just believe that in building your relationship with Christ, we can't always say where, or we can say where the church is, but we can't say where it is not. Yes. And really, God willing, just, you know, I would love, I mean, of course, I'd love my family were to be orthodox. But on the other hand, I also have to realize that I can't force the faith on them. And whenever they do, and whenever my mom comes with me to put on, but just as we say for Christmas or Pascha, it's such a rich blessing just to be in participation with her. And really, as long as uh, you know they also have a love for God, that's more than I can. That's they may have, uh, and God willing, they would have stronger faith than I do. And that's something that I just have to be helpful for. That even if somebody doesn't necessarily want to. And come to the Orthodox Church with me, but God willing, they're able to have a relationship with Him more than I, you know, have been able to. And just really being open to accepting that we can't just drag people into the faith, but God willing, that they find it for themselves and are able to find a joy just as I have, if not greater. Yeah, that's really good that even though, you know, uh, there is a different faith that still had a like positive impact on them and you guys are all able to grow in your faith and mm -hmm. it's really good to hear. Yeah. I think uh, Manny has a question. Is it, yeah, no one else has a um, Yeah, I was going to ask, because I don't know this about you, is there one particular thing about the Orthodox Church that would make you be like, yo, like I'm doing this? Other the question is, two questions. Yeah. What's the best? I know you like services. What's the best service you've ever been to? What has impacted you the most in the civil service? If there is okay. one. Yeah. So I would say that my, in a way, they kind of tie in together. But when I was first coming into the church, it was right before my first uh, grade one. So really, you know, as I'm like learning about the faith throughout grade one, we come up to Holy Week. Yeah, I just remember that very first Grand Holy Thursday, you know, during the uh, 12 Gospels, the electric going off, Christ is being crucified. And that was really the moment where I found myself just really living that spiritual reality where, you know, with everybody else, I was looking at them, you know, realizing Christ is being crucified for my sins, and it's finally driving home an entire lifetime of knowing this and participating in, but finally realizing just the extent and how, you know, right here in the service, it transcends space and time, and this is actually Christ's crucifixion. And, you know, I was sobbing, I was weeping, and I realized in that, you know, here is a life that I have lived without truly knowing the extent of God's sacrifice for me and having taken it for granted. And that really was just transformative for me and it's something I always look back on as being the point where I truly became orthodox and knowing that, you know, this is the true faith. This is what it's about. This laying down of life, even in, this laying down of life and innocence for another, it's like, this is not only the essence of, God, but it's very much like the way to finally become human. As my professor, Father Philip Samaras, constantly says, you know, just like, uh, it's like 
He has shown us how to become anthropos, human being. We're born male and female, but it's through this life of crucifixion that we're able to finally become God, this true human being, this new Adam, and to finally live up to be, finally allowing ourselves to be molded in the dust and clay by God to be as he intended humanity to be. And then really my favorite aspect of um, the services personally for me is um, honestly I would say that my favorite aspect is just being in just being with fathers like and the altar because I think that's you know it's really enjoyable like back home we have various altar teams back when I was serving at the Antiochian Cathedral for a couple kids, one was a, one was the PK. And what I found so funny was we had this group of seminarians from St. Vlad's, a handful of kids, and then me who, you know, was disturbing because I'm in town. And the first thing that I did was, you know, treat the PK like he was in charge. And he turns to me and goes, you know, Moses, I like you because, uh, you know, you're not like the big kids telling me what to do. And that would just create a really fun environment behind the altar where it didn't matter if we were about to go out for uh, holding candles for the gospel or if we're, uh, you know, trying to give the kids stop hitting each other with their Stakarian sleeves, you know, when we're about to go for, out for communion. It was just very much a, it was very much like a brother in Christ I was able to find him. But, and that's something that I really appreciate about the service, how we're all coming together to serve Christ. And while some are wanted to be more reverent than not, I nevertheless believe that everybody comes to Christ in their own ways. And I would much rather have, you know, especially with the older kids, I'd rather them being able to enjoy themselves in church than to not want to come. So that's the way I really enjoy just, you know, even, even with a priest, like we have two priests here who are uh, characters and What's funny is people tell me how they will actually cut in line to be next to each other just so they can tell each other jokes and hang out during uh, services. And I think in a way that that's kind of cool how there's very much a sense of fellowship and communion and being able to enjoy being with one another in service to God. You always answer questions. Um, if you guys don't mind, I kind of have a question for like everyone there, um, not just for Henry, maybe if anyone else wants to answer it. Um, so what would you say has been like your favorite thing about attending uh, the Hellenic College or Holy Cross? Like what, what's your favorite thing or what's the best part? What's your favorite experience there? It's a loaded question, but um, I don't know, kind of for everyone. I don't mean to put anyone on the spot, but like, I'm just curious. For me, uh, it's the people. Like yeah. before I came here, I was really nervous. I thought everybody was gonna be weird. For some reason, I was like, oh, like, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> like, and I'm they not, are very weird. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I was like, oh, like, 
I'm like too worldly and like when I come here, like everyone's gonna be like too pious and there's gonna be like this weird like culture where like, oh, I'm more pious than you. It's just, I was, I was just really worried about it. And like, you know, you meet the people here and just amazed. I mean, not only are those apprehensions, thank God, like um, not, not nearly as merited as I thought they were. In other words, not, not, not only is that a worry that really wasn't necessary, but it's like the, the amazement that I have for my sisters and brothers here outweighs any negative energy that I've, that I've experienced here. And this is an experience, right? It has this positive and negatives, but if you ask me, the positives drastically outweigh the negatives, just in terms of like, for example, you just heard Henry's story. Henry's story is amazing. Like Henry has changed my life through his story. Nila, his story, amazing. Mikhail, I don't know if you guys know the story yet. Amazing. Freaking Andres, man. Like these, uh, if you really stop and, and really ponder just how Christ calls people to him, how our church despite all the shortcomings, despite all the things that, I mean, me and Henry are having a conversation yesterday about all the things that, that really annoy us and, and drive us up a wall when it comes to being a member of the Orthodox Church, but the, just the sheer amount of amazement and the miracles of people's stories here is just really inspiring and really beautiful and an awesome thing to be a part of. So for me, short answer, the people. I agree with that. I was gonna say the fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> okay um i mean of course the short answer the same is the people but actually it was like so blessing so like uh, pleasant to 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 be among uh, people for me it was a struggle and that's that's the best thing it's like here you are in front of reality uh, you have to to meet the people every day and there is no way you have to love them. Uh, and if, if you don't, and this, this is the this is the test of your like theological knowledge. Okay, I know a lot. Okay, let's deal with with mm -hmm. uh, with Henry every day. It's, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy like to to see the same faces and to love them every day. So this is the test for for us to. And not to be philosophers all the time, teach people how to be Christians. You have to live it uh, in the community. So, of course, the people, but the people are not easy, and <laughs> that's that's the that's the good thing about it. Maybe maybe it's not always like uh, um, uh, giving you positive energy, but we don't care about positivity and negativity. We care about the goodness. The, the people are a good medicine for you. That's, that's a good thing. Oh, so I'm left. So I feel everything is good here because um, um, the most drastic changes which I felt were, was like um, how clean the air is. So mm. it's like it's that's developing me physically and spiritually. <laughs> so like living in the dorms with everyone is good going to the church like for orthodox and for vespers for liturgy it's like this place is developing me physically and uh, spiritually so it's it's a good place i like it
This place is good. You did touch upon this, but do you want to, if you'd like to, do you want to talk about maybe how your, how your background and your upbringing kind of affected your growth in the faith or your perspective yeah. on the faith today? Okay. Yeah, so I mean, so um me personally with that background of having a love for christ and kind of knowing the works of the trinity that was very beneficial for me growing up and helped me have a good understanding of god as i entered the orthodox faith because like i said before nothing in the orthodox faith was against what I knew or believed, but it was also challenging me in learning new things and being open to new ideas and perspectives. So as I came into the faith, it was actually very beneficial to have had a very deep down background of a life in Christ because back when I was first attending Hellenic College in 2015, it was a very much a transition period where things were rough both with the school and the administration. And overall, it was actually very negative on my uh, spiritual growth. And of course, on one hand, I had that catechumen flame and I had a lot of expectations. But on the other, seeing the very imperfect side of the church, seeing the human fallibility, at the time, it was very hard to look at that and think to myself, this is the church that I'm wanting to enter into. This, you know, it's like on one hand, you know, this is the future of the church, but on the other, they have this extreme, like, um, Greek, uh, you know, like push for like ethnic Hellenism. And it was very hard to feel a part of it, especially when at times I was made to feel very unwelcome. So I had to just really rely on that background of the faith. And as, Time went on as I went to different places, realizing that even when I'm not comfortable, I don't necessarily feel that I belong, the church transcends beyond that. And, you know, really, as I have been, have, as I've had a rich blessing of growing in the faith and in Christ, I found the, the things that once seemed a horrible issue have actually been a rich blessing in that. You know, the struggles that I used to have have helped me see in my own struggles that that is the beauty of the church, that in this very fallible body, Christ nevertheless loves us and fully embraces us. And that is humanity itself. And also I was actually speaking with an old friend from Hellenic last night, and he and I were joking around that if you could have looked at us like five years later from back then, 
and guess who's going to wind up working and studying here. It's like, it wouldn't have been either of us. And that's something that I think is really nice how plans that I had made for myself, the hopes that I had had, the, you know, things that I wanted out of life back when I first was, you know, coming into the Orthodox faith are very different in a sense than they are now. And yet at the same time, I feel that they've been fulfilled and to a greater degree than I could have imagined. And it's a way kind of like how we see with a lot in the Bible, how it's in the perseverance of faith that, you know, God is able to bless us abundantly. That's something that I think we actually have to keep in mind constantly because, I mean, even as uh, we are saying earlier about the fellowship here, there are times where there are extreme challenges. There are times when, you know, the best thing in the world can be have a brother in Christ who you can fall back on. And other times you have a brother of Christ who, you know, practically seen to Judas. And sometimes you find yourself very much that flawed character. And you have to know that, you know, it's in this constant struggle of trying to live the Christian life. But as, you know, just like, you know, rocks and water, we're constantly clashing against each other, bouncing off of each other, whether it be sharing ideas or having conflicts, but ultimately like smoothing each other out and finding out we're growing the faith together. So that's really the thing for me that by having had a good foundation in the faith, it's helped uh, grow into a even more, into like even more beautiful life in Christ. But, you know, that's been with complications and just having to fall back on that very, you know, strong foundation, knowing that in Christ, you know, we can have faith and that things will get better if we keep to it. How much time did you spend in Vietnam? I never actually asked oh. you that. I so I was um, only there for six months. And actually, the thing was... Um, so my parents, they had been trying to adopt a baby for a few years. And that was right when Vietnam had reopened uh, relations with America. So with that, my father first went over because my mother was a school teacher and wasn't able to go. So he actually lived in Vietnam for a few months and he would, you know, help out at the orphanage and just very much like it was a small town contum, very rural. So he would like, you know, get to know the local authorities, get to know councils, things like that. And then he had to come back to America and my mom was able to come over for her summer break. So since she was a school teacher, she actually would teach some of the uh, kids at the orphanage English and was just very much interactive with that. And since I'm a uh, own child, like, that actually helped her a bit and, you know, wanted to raise a baby by being able to you know, help out with the infants at the orphanage. And then finally, my dad was able to come back right before we came to America. And just like, as one would expect from a, you know, new way, a new adoption program in a struggling third world country, there's actually a lot of corruption in the process in which they had to pay off some authorities to make it over to Thailand to, you know, get me a visa to come to America. 
and it's a very much a big massive hassle and my parents never talked about it but a family friend she always loved to tell the story about how uh, my parents decided to hightail it on the back of motor scooters with me to get out of town because the uh, you know local boys have been upset about some fans you know it's a very to me in a way it's almost like a surreal and yet it's funny to think about like for these two Okies who you know really didn't have any idea what they're getting into that's what led me to be able to have this very beautiful life and for me especially being just this uh you know Oklahoma kid I think to myself you know hey I'm just living a life and you know it's normal enough and I have to look back and just like I was saying with Moses I have to look at these rich and abundant blessings that God has provided for me but he gave me such a loving family who was going to adopt me. He was, he gave me, he led me through just all of these things. And he also, you know, was so gracious and kind as to give me what I like to think of as like burning bush moments where I'm able to truly find and be with God. Whether that's the uh, Great and Holy Thursday service or, you know, moments of prayer when I've been in desperation and needed him or even just coming here, you know, those are moments that I personally feel very close to uh, that. Like for instance, there's a divine liturgy a few weeks back with uh, his grace, Bishop Adina Gores. And for some reason, I was just very, I was feeling very despondent at the time. And I was thinking about my father and I just felt very upset about it, you know? And so I have this, so I just pray to the Daytokas asking for comfort, you know, because especially practices, we learn to come to her for comfort as a mother. And for some reason, I just felt this beautiful warmth embrace me. And finally, this comfort that I hadn't felt for a year since dad had passed. And then Elizabeth Dana Gore starts giving his sermon. And he's talking about, father, he's talking about how just like a prodigal son, you know, the church is always there, the father himself is always there to welcome us and embrace us. And that really just, that was for me was a burning bus moment because I truly felt that God was addressing me in this and how, you know, here's this visiting bishop who I don't even know the name of at the time. And yet he's able to address and read my heart. It's moments like that where I'm able to see God, but really just affirm not only being a part of the faith, but affirming that even though sometimes I don't even know how I wound up here or what I'm doing, but, you know, God has led me here and has allowed me to be here and is with me here. And that's just a rich blessing beyond anything else that I can possibly comprehend. I know it's getting late, but I have like one more. I hope other people have more, but I also don't know if you're, are you tired? Or? Oh, I can, I can do it. Oh, okay. Do you feel, uh, how do you feel, um, do you find it difficult to like keep it keep with your Vietnamese roots and maybe do you find a way maybe with the faith to keep those roots if you even find it necessary to right. how is that like to mm -hmm. you know so I actually didn't have I wasn't too very much in touch with my Vietnamese roots until I went to my second high school which was over 50% Vietnamese and the funny thing with it was 
they all loved how I would, you know, to them, was press off a boat. You know, I was born back in the homeland. I had little, like, vaccination mark on my arm, like, that you get, like, in some countries. And just, you know, they wanted to include me so much in the culture. And yet my friend group was uh, these four preppy white kids who wore boat shoes. But that's <laughs> what I grew up with. And so really for me, like, there's very much a aspect of being Vietnamese, loving Vietnamese culture and being a part of it, but also feeling an outsider, especially in America where most things are, you know, from the southern Vietnamese who immigrated here during and after the war. And whereas I was born in Vietnam, which is the unified North. And, and so for me, really, what I would hope to do, God willing, is somehow help bring the faith over there. Because there's a handful, I think, three Orthodox parishes in Vietnam, all under the Russian Orthodox Church, and mainly for Russians who are living there. And while I know that's difficult, especially to proselytize out there without government support, God willing, I would love to be able to help the church grow, especially when I look at the orphanages, because so where I was from, there were two orphanages, and one was supported by the Catholic Church. And God willing, I would love in some capacity to do something like that with the Orthodox Church, where we can help, you know, bring these children in the faith, and God willing, help see it develop. Because while it is still a socialist country, there are Catholics in Vietnam from the uh, France, there are Protestants in Vietnam from the war. So God willing, it would be possible to see, you know, Vietnamese orthodoxy uh, grow to some extent, God willing. You speak your language? No, I do not. That's the thing about being a Moses, you need a mouthpiece, you need an Aaron. <laughs> Any more questions? Is there anything else you want to say for everyone? For me? Yeah, for you. Oh. you want to say? I don't well, I'd just say that uh, it's very much been a rich blessing to be able to talk. And uh, thank you for your questions. Also, thank you for your time. And yes, it's just been a rich blessing to be able to yeah, join and be role sessions because, I mean, as much as I feel like a lot of people are burnt out by Zoom after the last two years, at the same time, it's amazing to be able to talk to people out in San Francisco, it's amazing to have come to you know, meet people from all over the globe and just really to see how, especially in the Orthodox faith, how it is such a small world. And uh, well, for me personally, that's one of the richest blessings of that fellowship and that intimacy. So. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a blessing for all of us, and it's great to hear another perspective, understanding orthodoxy in the world. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything anybody wanted to say. Oh, I just uh, wanted to say um, <laughs> thank you guys all for coming out, and I, I know it's late for you guys um, up in Boston, too, so I really liked all that you guys had to share, and um, it was also great getting to hear you guys' stories, and get to know about each of you guys more.
Yeah, um, I also wanted to say thank you so much, Henry, for like sharing your stories and your wisdom and knowledge with us. Um, I don't know, I really enjoyed uh, what you had to say tonight. And again, I appreciate all of you, all of you guys staying up too. I know it's like almost 1am there, I think so. Um, but I appreciate it. And I really enjoyed uh, the Zoom today. Yeah, thank you for welcoming us into your community. It's been such a rich blessing to be able to participate. Of course, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, God willing, we'll see you all next week. And hopefully we have another speaker. Would you like to chant? Would you like to save people? Yeah. Whatever you'd like. All right. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna chant the... Uh, Apolitikion, the, the, the main hymn of the uh, school, okay, in English. So I'm sure you guys know it too. We're going to chant. You're all, you're all <laughs> going to chant. Yeah. Yeah. Here, come take my seat though so we can, we yeah. can see you. Uh, it's a very, very good chant. Hi guys. Nice to see you both. Um, you know it, right? Soy, soy, kiri, don laotsum. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. 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 Amen.